You're listening to Filling the Storehouse Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Stuart. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living the abundant life through faith, family, and freedom. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours. Together, achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drive each other to intentionally fill our storehouse. Storehouse listeners, what's up? Hey, this is Stu. And um, have you guys read a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill? If you haven't, you really should. There's a a concept in it that he talks about called the mastermind alliance. And um, he says it as uh, it's a friendly alliance with one or more persons who will encourage one to follow through with both plan and purpose. And um, this concept has been around for a long, long time. Napoleon Hill wrote the book a long time ago, but it's something that, uh, you know, really, really helps uh, push you uh, support you and helps you grow. And so um, I uh, helped create a war room, the War Room Mastermind group about two and a half years ago. And I have found so much um, fulfillment through this group. And I wanted to tell you about it. If you're in the military, past or present, veteran, reservist, National Guard, um, and you're interested in real estate and business, uh, I, I highly encourage you to check this out. Uh, it's a, a group of, of individuals who are seeking uh, to find their highest and best. And um, I've seen so much growth uh, through through members of this group. It's been incredible. I mean, a mastermind group, it really is about creating deep and lasting connections, um, challenging yourself, um, finding accountability partners, just brainstorming with people, getting feedback, getting support. Um, really uh, focusing and, and finding clarity and uh, helps you really make better decisions. Um, I tell you, like I've seen some of our members go from doing zero real estate deals to syndicating, you know, hundred unit apartment complexes, um, guys that have uh, started with just, you know, one or two rental properties that are now taking over and being the CEO of multi-million dollar businesses um, it, it's amazing. So if, uh, if this sounds interesting to you, Hey, give us a shout. Um, best way to get in touch and start the process is, uh, send an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Again, wrmastermind at gmail.com. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you join this tribe. And, uh, yeah, you know, um, there's a book called Tribe of Millionaires, and then it says the right people reveal your richest source of power. I, I can't agree more. Um, so go uh, check it out. Send us an email. And uh, most importantly, go fill your storehouse. Enjoy the episode. See you. What is going on, everybody? Hey, this is Stu and David filling the storehouse podcast. Hannah, hello. How are you? Hi, I'm great. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. Um, I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I read your book um, and there was parts where I had to reread your book over and over again, because as we talked about beforehand, I'm not that smart of a guy. Um, and um, it's it's some good stuff. It really is. Don't, and I, don't beat yourself up, Stu. It's not, you know, the fact that you're reading at the ninth grade level now is like, we're super proud of you. Like we're excited that you've grown and uh, it's exciting. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was um, just before this, I was, my, my son just came home from preschool and I was playing with him. We were playing tractors and he had some little play sand. And uh, I was like, Hey, can I be the, can I be the dump truck? He's like, no, you can't be the dump truck. I was like, why not? He's like, you're going to be the boring one. And I was like, what? So he gave me the, the, like the cement truck that you like, can't do anything with. Um, Hmm. He's like, that's the old boring one. (laughs) I was like, why do I get the old boring one? He's like, because daddy, that's what old people play with. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, so I'm not smart and I'm old and boring. So there you go. It's a great start to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Hannah, <laughs> if you could, please tell our audience uh, who you are, where you came from, what are you doing, why you wrote a book, and, and all that in between. Yeah. Yeah. Do you sing that cadence to the who you are, where you came from? Do you do that in the. No, only army people sing really dumb 
cadence is. <laughs> well, I don't know. You seem to know the words. So um, yeah, who I am and where I came from. <laughs> uh, so I'm a, I'm a supply chain professor at Lipscomb University and um, have been a, a supply chain and marketing strategy professor for the last, gosh, more than 10 years now, almost 10 years now, coming up on 10 years. Doesn't really matter. We don't want to age ourselves. Although Stu did at the beginning. Yep. Um, David was smart enough not to start off by telling everybody how old he was. Oh yeah, I'm, <laughs> but, young, um, I'm young. Right, right. <laughs> um, unlike Stu and David, I um, I came up through the army, so still a little little military, but you know, not the we same. We won't hold that against you. Yeah, yeah. I really did work for a living uh, initially, anyway. So I, I enlisted and um, started out in psychological operations as a cultural analyst and learned Mandarin. Um, when I was linguist nice. qualifying, got moved into ordinance, and that's really where I got first exposed to kind of the, the nitty gritty, the tacticals of uh, logistics and supply chain management, you know, moving explosives. And then I spent the last yeah. three years in um, public affairs. And kind of through that is an interesting journey to move into academics then um, is because I got a little bit of that macro you know, global space in the army, a little bit of the running the warehouse and driving the trucks and then back out to the, how do you communicate it to the customer in public affairs? So I think, you know, God does direct our steps, even if we're just kind of moving through the motions, <laughs> different seasons. So I went from that and got a PhD in logistics and marketing, which is kind of how I arrived today as a supply chain professor and writing and doing research in, in the getting it done space of business. So were you doing, uh, you enlisted and then were you taking classes while you were in, while you were serving and got your PhD while you're still in or how, how, what was that transition process like? Yeah, I was split ops and then I was reserves. Um, I did a little bit of, I could do a couple active duty stints throughout, but um, so I did my undergrad, I enlisted at 17 nice. and then did my undergrad while I was, you know, doing training and then reserves. And then I finished my undergrad. I actually went active duty in public affairs. Um, and then I, I did my MBA while I was in public affairs. And then I got out altogether. And then a PhD is like a full-time job plus um, full-time school. Plus you just sign your life away for four years. So uh, <laughs> that's all I did. Yeah. I, and I didn't even read things like twice. I read them like 80 times too. When I got oh, good. Academy. That makes me feel better. Yeah. I read with a dictionary. I didn't even have enough vocabulary to read things. So there's lots of us. <laughs> yeah. But you have a PhD, Stu. Yeah. Stu's got aviator master's. wings. You got aviator master's. wings. Yeah. That's true. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I practice and, reading too. Yeah. <laughs> and where did you, uh, where did, where was the, where'd you get your doctors through? Oh yeah. Good question. Um, I did my PhD at the university of Tennessee. So it's in business right. administration, um, focused on logistics with a, a core, um, emphasis on marketing as well. So really customer facing supply chain. You got all this, you got all this business experience, but um, there's this book you wrote about, um, biblical principles of business. So where, where does the kind of the, the biblical religious side come into all of this? Yeah, it's, um, there's kind of like two different sides to the coin. Like I'll yeah. just call it a coin and then I can have two sides to it. Um, so on the one side, I, I, when I went to get my doctorate, I actually, I love traveling. You know, I did the, the language thing and, um, actually had an undergrad degree in Mandarin, lived in China a little bit. And so I love doing global things. And I was like, well, if I get a PhD, I can go anywhere in the world. Um, you know, business seems like a, a degree that, especially logistics, logistics is kind of like um, economics and politically agnostic. Like every country needs logistics. Everybody needs right. logistics. And so you can really, um, I saw it more as like a, a pathway and less as like the journey itself. Like this is where I'm going to really bless people. Um, so the, the short answer, right on, on one side, I started off in my PhD program. I do applied research. I was on a department of defense, um, grant, which I guess I've never really gotten that far away from the military. Nice. Uh, and we were, so, you know, for a long time, logistics, the field I'm in was really informed by the military. Right. And then there was a shift with the globalization of supply chains that the military was like, Oh, wait a minute. Now corporate is doing all this stuff in supply chain management. Let's build some best practices out based on what companies are doing. So I was on a research team, um, you know, it's, it's been a few years, but we were exploring green, so environmental strategies, lean strategies. So how do you create more efficiencies? Military is not always efficient, like budgeting and costs and, you know, they don't have yeah. a price tag on things. It's tax. Well, we won't go into that. But anyway, um, so looking at how do you be more efficient and then how do you do that globally, right? There's 
we've been spread out all over the world for the last 20 years. And so we went in and we actually worked with about 60 different fortune 500 companies looking at their best practices in those areas. And as I was listening to these companies, um, a lot of the, the reasons behind being environmental, like stewarding the environment for the next generation and making sure resources were around when their kids grow up. And um, even in the lean space, you know, lean is all about quality, but you only have a quality product if you allow everybody in your organization to have a voice. Mm. So it's actually like putting honor and dignity in jobs that are dirty jobs and dirty work and really recognizing that people aren't just like bodies and hands coming to work, but they're brains and they have ideas and we should be listening. And I was like, man, those are really biblical things that Christians should be doing. And these companies say they're doing these things because they make them more profitable. Hmm. That's really interesting. So the flip side was, then you get into Christian environments and they talk about the business world. Like it's all like, you know, sin and awful, and it's just taking advantage of people and you're just tricking them into buying your products. And, um, you know, and I, so on the, on the other side, I was like, man, the Bible actually talks a lot about business. And there's actually a lot of evidence that the things that the Bible says to do work based on these 50 companies we've been talking to, wouldn't it be great if Christians realize that the Bible is true and that it actually works. And it's not just about who we are as spiritual people, but it actually makes us better in business. It makes our operations better. You're better at what we do when we live the Bible. And it seems like secular people sometimes get that, get some of those principles better mm. than Christians do. And that's a travesty. Yeah, that's really interesting because we've had a, a number of guests um, like Wes Lyons comes to mind who was, you know, as an individual who is focused on that, that business side and, but really focused on the spiritual side. And, and it, it was interesting because they, you know, and then I think of the gospel patrons and um, uh, John Reinhardt and the, just the conversations we had with them about how uh, it's actually a gift, a blessing, a skill, a God-given ability to to do business, to do business well, and then to use those to steward those talents and and turn them into something that not only builds a kingdom, but is actually a successful business that treats people with dignity and respect. I think that's awesome how you kind of just wrapped all that together. Cause it's, uh, you know, it makes me wonder, is that, is that, uh, if you don't mind, give us the background of your book and, and, and is that kind of the why behind writing it? Just the education piece yeah. of everything you just described? Absolutely. And then I was at Wheaton college as faculty before I came to Lipscomb university where I am full-time now. And at Wheaton, I had the opportunity to do my master's in Bible. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I might've told my husband that it was like a small group. I was like, it's just one night a week for three years. <laughs> <laughs> My, my um, master's program, small group. That's good. Right. Right. I was like, yeah, it's just one night a week. It's not like a PhD. It's not like I'm doing that again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but in that process really like, cause you know, like we've been in the church, like you hear sermons, you read your Bible, hopefully. And so when I was listening to the research and hearing people talking about, you know, the, their best practices, I was like, that sounds really biblical, but then you have to go back to scripture and say, well, why do I feel like that sounds biblical? Where is it in the word of God? And I realized, you know, with, with Jesus, Jesus is so, Jesus is so tricky. Can I say that? Jesus is so tricky. You know, he, he spent 30 years, so he didn't go into like full-time ministry until he was 30. Right. Right. So probably at 13, you start apprenticing in the ancient Near East. So from 13 to 30, a good 17 years of his life, like the bulk of his life on earth, he spent in carpentry in business. Right. But like, there's zero scripture. There's like one verse, like saying, and he was a carpenter and that's like all, you know about it. So the new Testament isn't super helpful outside of knowing that Jesus was a carpenter. The disciples kept trying to fish, but Jesus kept telling the fish for men and not fish. And then Paul built tents. Um, and that was like, you know, is that, is that all we have for the church that functions in the world? But then actually the old Testament is really deep in business and it goes really, really deep into civic life. So when you read, there's 630 laws in the Pentateuch, that's Genesis to to Deuteronomy. There's 630 laws and like a third of them are civic life. Hmm. And civic life is like, where do you put your fence? How do you know what you own? Like when somebody owes you money, how do you claim that debt? You know, how do you manage your, I mean, it's business. It's all business practices is investing. And then you get into Proverbs and like, it's 50, 50. Now we're talking about business every other verse. Um, and lady wisdom seems to be spending a lot of time in business, doing business things. Like it even talks about like, how do you negotiate price points with your supply? Like it's so practical. And as I dug into it, I was like, man, 
there's so much, actually, it's not that we're like taking verses and then trying to, I'm not trying to sell some like biblical ideas, like, oh, do this thing in the Bible and it'll work. Actually, I was amazed that there's really holistic models of thinking about business. And then there's a lot of evidence in God's creation, the world around us that supports and demonstrates for us that the Bible is true. And that was really kind of my goal. It's called wisdom-based business because it draws from wisdom literature, from Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, um, Job, and looks at what is, what does God say about the way that we do business? Jesus became wisdom personified. Yeah. And so the, the old Testament really gives us a clear picture of business strategies from 3000 years ago that are still best practice, still applied by fortune 500 companies today. Right. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you start out the book just, um, you know, it got me excited right from the very beginning about just talking about Solomon and, Mm -hmm. you know, like Solomon was given this gift from God of, Hey, what, what do you want? And what do you ask for? He asked for wisdom. Yeah. And so, you know, how does, how does this wisdom based business, um, you know, transfer to today's business owner, like, you know, and, and I want to kind of talk about one, the, the Proverbs 31, you know, the, the, the woman personified in business, um, and then get into the, the orientations throughout the book. But like, where, where do you even start as a business owner, like seeking wisdom? Yeah. I mean, I, I always go to James for that one. Cause James is like, you know, ask God and yeah. he gladly gives it to you, you know, but don't, don't ask empty, like don't, an empty request out like god i really want you to make me wise and then i but i really still want to like steal from my suppliers and cheat my customers yeah i think that's what james is saying like don't ask god for wisdom if you don't want it because it'll make you miserable knowing right from wrong and choosing to do wrong right Right. so it is a he's an action guy right james is an action guy that's what i love about james he's like do it yeah i mean if you want it why aren't you asking god wants to give it to you just like solomon (laughs) yeah that's yeah Well, let's talk about uh, the Proverbs 31, you know, this, this wisdom personified through the Bible, like, you know, tell us about that. What is, what is that? What are you talking about there? Yeah. You guys will love this. So Proverbs 31, um, you know, there's different pieces of it. I love like the unfolding revelation. Cause I've been really studying Proverbs 31 for 10 years and I still get excited about like new things every, <laughs> every season. I'm like, Whoa, that's so amazing. <laughs> but in the passage, you know how it says she holds like the distaff and the spindle and it's like, they're really bizarre, like household tools that like nobody has anymore. I don't know that people like, when I think of like a, a spindle or a spinning wheel, I think of like, um, sleeping beauty, which is pretty far yeah. from our lives. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you kind of think of like the old lady knitting at church, like you're not thinking about it. Like these are, you know, tools of industry. Um, but in that passage, it's interesting. It's Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 is a standalone chapter in the Hebrew Bible. So that's important to know. Um, it's also an acrostic. It's an A to Z. So there's 21 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and it goes from A to Z about this um, valiant woman. Um, and Christian scholars, Bible scholars say that it actually reads like a war hymn. It reads really similar to David's war hymns. And the word for valiant that describes this woman is used only really only in two other contexts to describe people. It's used to describe the mighty men of David who were warriors. And it's used in the book of Ruth to describe Ruth and Boaz and God. And so that kind of positions, like, who are we talking about here? This isn't, you know, a women's Bible study where we're talking about, you know, our domestic, our domestic work and whether we're good at knitting or not. Um, And the other thing, like when she's holding this distaff and the spindle, which is, you know, really crazy instruments to be holding, um, actually in the ancient Near East, you know, um, you know, the story of Jonah and he like went to Nineveh and Nineveh is that, that's the city, that's the nation of Assyria, right? Right. So Assyria is up to the north and we know they're like pagan, like pagan God worshipers, but in Assyria, they actually have this goddess of war called Ishtar and, and she's a woman and she is a goddess of like, you know, sex and fertility and, um, war and wisdom and political power. These are all the things that she's a goddess of and her, her, her icon, her statue. If you go to the British museum, the relief of her, she holds a spindle (laughs) <laughs> and a distaff. Mm. And so you, when we think of that, we think that's like so domestic, but in the ancient Near East, a woman holding household items like that, like, this is actually like game on, we're at war. Like this mm. is like to be feared and it's awesome. And it's all about like multiplication and conquering things and competitiveness and all of that, um, that would have been in that like ancient mindset. So first of all, 
you know, this isn't, this isn't just a checklist for the Christian housewife, um, as my Wheaton students used to cutely say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when you look at this passage, it's 21 verses, 10 of the verses are actually quoting Proverbs one through nine, describing lady wisdom. And throughout the passage, you get an entire supply chain of planning. She's up at night. She's sourcing, she's buying raw materials. She's manufacturing and making all kinds of products. And then she's delivering them into the marketplace and selling them. So 3000 years ago, for whatever reason, wisdom gets personified as lady wisdom. She's not some like housewife, which is an amazing thing to be, but she's like a housewife and more. She's actually running a company with employees and servants. And then not only is she running a company, but she's profitable and she's like expanding her business into other fields, like buying fields, literally into other fields by buying fields and planting vineyards. So she started out in textiles. Now she's got a winery, you know, she's really industrious and it says in the passage six times profitable. So when you read those 21 verses, not like um, it's just for women, but it's actually wisdom personified. All of a sudden that those 21 verses become the most holistic business plan throughout all of scripture. And it's pretty awesome because wisdom says was there at the beginning of the creation and delighted in us, but also knows the difference between right and wrong and decision-making and how to create a path that's blessing. Because when Solomon asked God for wisdom, God gave it to him. And then what he also gave to him that followed it was wealth and fame and generational blessing. Right. And so these things do follow wisdom. It's not a prosperity doctrine. It's uh, how it works out. Yeah, that's all. I love that explanation of, you know, I've, I've um, spent a lot of time in the Proverbs because they've broken out very, very uh, conveniently to be 31. And you yeah. have uh, typically 30 days in the month. So you can do one a day pretty consistently. But um, Stu, except for February, because there's only 28 days. Oh, in February, right, right. So you have to read ahead. Uh, but, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I've not heard an explanation like that um, because, you know, one of the things that pops in, especially with Stu and I, we were actually just talking before this call about property and land and, and Proverbs talks about how she goes, <clears throat> she goes into, to inspect a field and, and with her earnings, you know, yeah. she's, she's expanding, she plants a vineyard. She's, she's, she's making this, this, these fields, as you mentioned, profitable. And it's, it's a, it's a part of the Proverbs that I spent time in and talking to my wife, cause she's a entrepreneurial woman. And I'm like, Hey honey, like this is, you know, I kind of joking too, like, Hey, I want you to be this. So I can just kind of, you know, take a break, <laughs> city gates, but uh, yeah, I could just, yeah. I could just sit at the gates, hang out with the dudes and just talk about right. how awesome my wife is. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I love how you frame that. That is so cool. I've never heard about the the story of, uh, was it Nineveh? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The goddess I'd of Assyria. Heard, yeah. The goddess of Assyria. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. And, um, I, I just think I really appreciate you kind of giving us a, a lesson on that. Cause that is, that's just a different context to, uh, how we frame such an important part of the the Bible, and I, and I and I love how it also reinforces the fact that you know one it the roles it reinforces that that it's not as um, the roles are not as black and white as some people like to paint them, especially in the church, unfortunately. But but they're very diverse, and and um, if you cultivate this kind of relationship, it's worth more than silver and gold, right? More than yeah. rubies and priceless uh, yeah priceless but but also just that focus on the wisdom and, and how it's not prosperity because even if we if we just get the wisdom piece and we're not completely rich we are absolutely blessed and rich in other ways that i think is 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 immeasurable mm-hmm. um which i i just i love that so thank you for that that, that was yeah. really cool um I, i'm kind of curious the the wisdom orientations of the book if you could kind of give us a breakdown of those you know quickly and, and we can dig into those a bit yeah, so I won't I won't be super academic. Um, so I don't, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll it'll go it right down. over my head. You don't want I to mean, talk about Yeah. So, or, but <laughs> but the actual word for orientation in academic research, like in business research, um, means the philosophy of the firm. So an orientation is like why why are you in business? So that's all philosophy is. Philosophy is just a question of like why do you exist? Um, so. The philosophy of the firm is like, why, why are you in business? What, what does it mean that you're in business? And then if you understand why you're in business, that's where your mission and vision and strategy come from. You know, we're, we're sometimes we're, and especially in business, like business is fast paced. Like you have to make decisions fast. Like you don't always get time to sit around and like philosophize. That's a word. Um, so, you know, and, and so we really do just start with like the vision and the mission and then how we're going to get it done. Like we, we jump to those, but um, the orientation piece has like an academic meaning. Right. So like, what's your, why, why, why exist? Give me some reasons why you exist. On the other hand, there's also Psalms of orientation. 
And in scripture, orientation is all about repositioning our heart and our path and our direction to loving God and loving people. So when you put those two together, if you read wisdom literature, you say, okay, well, wisdom has a path. Wisdom orients our steps. And what, what are the reasons that wisdom orients our steps? And so when you pull those together with like, really all of them came from Proverbs 31. So every orientation in my book is something that you see in these 21 verses. And they're all reasons that she's in business and reasons that she are, get, she, she are, she, reasons she is getting things done. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of like at a low level, like, um, they're all pieces of the picture that help her get from point A to point B. And we know like wisdom starts with the the awe of God, but we, we call it the fear of God, but really the awe of God is better. Um, and the end goal of wisdom is honoring God and loving people just like he does. Hmm. So the, the five different orientations in the book are really five different ways or paths to getting to that end goal. And you know, you, you did a lot of research on different companies that, uh, you know, show examples of these different orientations. Now, a, a successful company that you see, I mean, do they have pieces of all five of these orientations or do they kind of like focus on one to, to get to success? Or, I mean, what, what does that look like? That's such a good question. Um, I get that because I, I do get that Thanks. question a lot. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it's, a, it's a really good one. I think uh, if you look, sorry, at- I don't want to interrupt you. He just doesn't get that a lot. So we just wanted to celebrate that moment for a yeah. second. So thank you. Thank oh, you yes. for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, yeah. So I would say that every Fortune 500 company I've ever worked with, and I've worked with a lot of them at this point, has at least one of these strategies in place. Like, can you imagine a company that's really strategic and leading in the industry that doesn't have quality? Like, can you imagine that? Like, who's going to be their customer for long? Right. You know, and there are some industries where like they're more monopolies, you know, like we're, um, you know, like your electric grid, (laughs) well, it's not quality, but you don't have options. So like, if you have choice in an industry, the the leaders are going to be the ones that are the best quality. Um, And then, so I would say quality is definitely one that you're just not going to be all that competitive for very long if you don't have quality as a strategy. Um, I would say the other four. So, you know, if you're listening and you haven't read the book yet, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's quality, um, stakeholder, long-term um, supply chain, and then sustainability. And uh, I would say that a lot of times that the old kind of idea was that you couldn't be sustainable until you were profitable. Like you don't need to think about people and money until you're profitable. But we're actually seeing with social enterprises and a lot of other companies, like what's the point in getting profitable if you're hurting customers and ruining your resources along the way? Like you kind of have to have a strategy for all three. So I would say all the companies have a mix of all five. Okay. And I try to pull like Yili. Yili Group is a a Chinese dairy company. It's one of the examples. And I try to get a mix. Not all the companies have faith-based leaders because I wanted to demonstrate that secular companies can do all of these things and be profitable. Um, You can definitely track through Yili's history their initial quality, then they moved into, you know, more of the innovation reputation, supply chain, and then sustainability. And then, um, and then they're in China. So they've always been long-term Yeah, <laughs> you know, where That's, you kind of see there's iterations and different mixes. So it's, inter- go ahead, buddy. Well, well, I was just going to say, I think it's really interesting because as you were talking, I wrote secular ideas, secular ideas backed by biblical truths, but in reality, it's biblical truths being implemented by secular businesses, people, whatever, that are yielding this. Uh, I just think it's fascinating because as you look through the orientations, you pulled those from the Bible. Those are the the kind of the five that you um, discerned through your study and your research. And and it's it's a it's a great roadmap to successful businesses. And just that, I think that tie is, is so fascinating how there's a, a number of secular sec, secular businesses and people that are practicing these biblical truths that you've so eloquently laid out, which is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of nerdy because I'm a, but I have a business PC, so I get to be a little bit nerdy. Right. But you know how, like, I think it's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know how like we expect, we expect people to like be in awe of God. Who's like the creator of the universe. Like when we see the ocean or you see mountains and why shouldn't we look at everything that God's created, like industry and organizations and also be in awe that beautiful things work really well. Yeah. Just like, you know, mountain ranges are gorgeous. Well, a company that has a really amazing, impactful strategy is really gorgeous. And in some way reflects the heart of our creator as well. 
So creation is full of evidence of God. Hmm. That's really cool. The way you think about that. That's awesome. It's kind of nerdy what, too. Okay. I, hey, I love it. Um, we, uh, so, you know, our business is, is real estate focused and, and this podcast, it's a business podcast. It's about faith, family, and financial freedom. And, and a big piece to our wise is, is just that the, the family background and, um, you know, one of the orientations kind of really stuck out to me was, was the, the long-term orientation and how you create a business that, that lasts beyond just our generation that, you know, that, that flows into the next generation and the next generation. And, um, you know, the, the, one of the, you know, things you talk about in, in this chapter is, um, you know, U S companies and specifically, you call it the short, short-termism crisis. And, you know, the average company in America doesn't last more than like, what would you say it was like 14 years or something like that? Yeah. And yeah. You know, why is that? Like, why, why do you think it's, it's in America only? Cause, cause you talk about some Asian cultures and you, you hinted on it just a little bit earlier. What's the difference? Like what, why such a big um, disparity between the two? Yeah, I think, um, there's, there's a lot, there's probably a lot of different reasons. So there's not like just one, one driver, but, um, you know, the way that we even just measure financial gains, you know, it's three months at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I think a lot of times, even the entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial model is that build it up, scale it, sell it, move mm-hmm. on to the next one right. also is great for making individual wealth, but isn't great for creating cultural change. If that makes mm, sense, it does. Um, and you can be a philanthropist, a philanthropist, and you can use that money you make to invest in great things. But if you really want to change culture, build a company, build an organization that provides people a livelihood that they can go to every day and run it for a hundred years. You know, um, and that's a totally different. I mean, it's a different business model to that. Like, yeah. get some venture capital, build it up, scale it, sell it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that that's like an evil way of doing business. Um, but it's much more rewarded in our, in our society. It is not that way in Asian cultures where they have, um, it is much more ingrained in, in their culture and and this lived through communism. So it's really, some of it is like the ancestor kind of worship, but you know, you get outside the U S and understanding where you came from is a huge part of who you are and understanding where you came from. Then it means that it's important that you have something to pass on to who comes after you. Mm. And if you're just caught up in the next three months, you're probably not paying attention to the generations before you. And certainly not thinking if you're going to, you know, sell multiple times throughout your lifetime, you're not, the legacy you're leaving is, is financial, but it's, you're not handing over a model or a framework for life um, to the next generation. So it's a totally different way of thinking about the world altogether, I think, um, that we have in our economy today. Do you think that is also, because as you're saying this, it, it strikes me as being very indicative of kind of our American culture. And, you know, you even look at things like what, it doesn't really matter where you're at on the, or the fact that we politicize something like a global pandemic to me is a bit eye-opening, but just the idea of it's, you know, I'm focused on me yeah. and not necessarily, and even, even when you talk to entrepreneur entrepreneurs, when they say, well, I'm doing this for my family. Well, we're part we're part of a group that challenges that notion. They say, "Oh, really? You're working 80-hour weeks for your family. You're working you never see your children or your wife for your family. Is that really is that really the truth?" And it forces you to look. So I'm I'm just kind of curious, is this a kind of a a symptom or a, I guess a a result of of that very independent self-centered kind of mindedness? Yeah, I love this. So the, the concept from long-term orientation um, in the research by Hofstede, which I talk about a little bit, which is looking at like cultural norms. Um, when they started, and it, you know, he did all of his research through IBM in the 1970s. And it ne- like long-term orientation never came up in the West mm. at all. Mm. And then they went into Asia and they were like, what is this thing that like people like talk about their parents and they talk about the next generation. And so they called it the Confucian effect for a really long time because it just wasn't even a part of our vocabulary. Like we just didn't even talk about it, but the interesting thing. Um, so it's definitely like our society is just not geared. We don't on like in work, you know, like we have, a, there's a reason that we have like ageism, you know, and it's a problem because we don't honor, you know, we went, we went the newest 
the youngest and the most relevant ideas. And in a way it dishonors the elderly. It dishonors the generation that went before us. You know, sometimes in business are like, well, you're just, you know, out of touch or whatever. You haven't been in this industry for 10 years. What do you know? You only get to um, play with the boring tractor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we even have a way of like, we kind of move to where like we celebrate and worship youth and don't really honor, you know, wisdom that comes from people who've, who've lived a lot. Um, and obviously like I'm broad, broad sweeping statements yeah, right. here. Oh, of course. Um, but the interesting thing in the McKenzie research that's really, really recent is that companies that are long-term oriented, even if you're going to sell in five years, there is so much data that companies that have a long-term orientation, that have a longer-term strategy than like this year or a five-year plan, they're thinking about 20-year impact of their organizations are actually more profitable, significantly more profitable. So even if you sell, you should still plan for the long-term because um, it's better business than just, oh, really you know, figuring out how you can win a, a segment of the market today. So what, what are the action steps behind that? Like, you know, David and Stu want to start a real estate company and wants to have long-term orientation at the forefront in our minds to create this business. Like, so what, do, what do we do uh, to build that out? Yeah, I think, I think biblically speaking, and this is where it always gets tricky. Like maybe not, it doesn't get tricky in every context, but you know, people are always so worried that like you're saying, if you do this thing in scripture, you're going to get rich. Um, and the, and the thing that I love about thinking about business is when you have a long-term orientation, you're thinking about how, how can it be sustained, right? Um, both financially, how do you sustain the resources you need? How do you sustain people? And when you start thinking about, you know, sustaining, like David said, you know, you're not just thinking about how do I sustain my employees? How do I sustain my, my customers and my suppliers? But you actually need to think like, how do I sustain my family? How do I sustain the community that, how does my company play into that in the long-term um, and so I, I think as Christians, when we approach these business things, there's, it's interesting to me that out of the 10 commandments, the only command, the only command to do something we have is to honor the generation before us, which is our parents, mm. right? There's an immediate generation we're honoring. And so it's, I think there's something really practical in business of like knowing your industry, know the parents of your industry. And that's, it's like a weird thing to think about, but like, if you don't understand the past, how are you going to actually innovate? and create a product that's useful in the future. Or, you know, even in real estate, like understanding like communities, understand where you're investing your money and like the history, but then also think about what is the next generation gonna do differently? And this kind of thinking actually drives innovation more mm -hmm. radically than just thinking like in the here and now and today in my scope. Um, because it actually, when you develop products, you develop your business plan or you invest in, you know, real estate, whether it's commercial or um, whatever space it's in, it actually gives you a longer term horizon to think innovatively in a way that's going to be more profitable. So I don't know if that's a very succinct answer, but. No, it's interesting uh, because we've been, you know, a lot of our businesses essentially been kind of flipping houses for the most part. And it's, it's very transactional. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you buy a house, you rehab it, you sell it, you're done. Right. And, and maybe your buyer comes back again. Um, and, we've, we've kind of been in this thing for about three years now. And I feel like, um, we haven't got a whole lot of fulfillment through that. And what we found that, that where we really find fulfillment is, is in the relationships, you know, the people that work with us and on our business, uh, our investors that we've created relationships with that they've trusted us and they, they invest with us and get, they give, you know, money and invest in deals with us. And this podcast, and having conversations with with people, and um, you know, it, it, it's I, I think it's it's all kind of that long term orientation where we really enjoy and are fulfilled through relationships, and not so much the transactions of the day to day business of, of buying and selling houses. And so it kind of really gets your 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 brain, you know, thinking about like, well, what's the point of our business? Well, and I think what you just said, it actually, I think it's the mindset thing because what yeah. you just said really turned a, a, a light bulb on for me. And, and part of our business is also keeping some of the properties for ourselves. And I get really excited about the prospect of, of having this, these properties that we keep for 30, 60, however long, and the potential of the relationships, not only with the tenants and giving them, honoring them through a, a beautiful place and not being slumlords, but giving them a, a beautiful place to live, but, but using that as potentially a ministry. Uh, you know, we talked about the excitement of once, you know, the, 
when you pay off a property, it's not just that your potential uh, rents go up. Rent doesn't go up, but your, your take goes up. But it's not just that. But now you actually have the opportunity if someone in your house is having an issue, you're like, you know what? How about you just take the next six months off of rent? And you, you're able to bless through a business. And, and I think uh, it's a mindset thing because you really just got me excited about keeping as many possible properties as possible, not because of a bottom line, but because of the potential relationships and, and the, the influence you can have over a larger portfolio versus selling it and never seeing it again. Yeah. And so I think I that's, think, that's interesting. And I, I even think like, I'd encourage you to, I, I don't think there's anything, there's, there's no such thing as truly transactional business. Hmm. Unless like, unless you like have a sale and you go away and you're in a completely different space for the rest of eternity from the person you sold to. Like, even as you flip houses, um, you know, it might be trans, it might feel transactional with the person buying because you go away and you start the next flip. But if you're in one community and you're flipping houses or in a city or in a region, um, you're still building reputation that is long-term. Yeah. Mm, and if you're fair. flipping a bunch of houses that your customers don't love, even though you might not be selling them another house, you are building a reputation and you are building credibility that can yeah. be built up through each transaction or can be broken down. And then you do have that, you're definitely building out your long-term space and how you're working with suppliers, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and, and so there's, there's a lot of spaces to think about, okay, well, in my industry, what is treated as transactional? And what is the eternal impact of what I do? So even if it's like a short-term thing here on earth, everything we do has an eternal impact, whether we see it on earth or we, Peter tells us at the pearly gates, I just wanted to throw the pearly gates in there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, I'm curious on one thing too. And sorry, student, this is this relates. I don't want to move off this point. No. Um, this relates to what we were just talking about from a military perspective. And, and I couldn't help but think when, you know, I, I've been part of organizations, as I'm sure you have, that it seems like you do a reorg every like six months. And, mm -hmm. and there's, there's this reorg and the, and targets change, or like different things change you never really feel comfortable in a long-term solution. And I feel like, um, when you look at, you know, potentially other countries, China, Russia, these very long-term strategic visions for that, we're just going to wait you guys out because at some point we're going to get back to whatever their vision is. Right. Do you think that, that, you know, the military implications of this short-termism is, that, that leads to a lot of the, just the churn that we do? Yeah, let me think about that. So my, my initial response was like, man, Jesus even had reorg. <laughs> he only had 12 yeah. disciples and lost one. And they had to get, they had to like vote for a new one after he died and then Jesus himself left. So, you know, he, they had a lot of reorganization in, <laughs> in their structure over three years. Um, but like at the heart of what you're saying, I think the challenge is when, it's not when the mission shifts, Maybe it's not even the, the mission. Maybe it's not when the tactics shift, right? Yeah. It's when the values change. That's where right. it becomes confusing. So across scripture, like, and I think this is true. This is where the long-term piece is really important. Um, you know, if you have a, a really long understanding of your nation, this is why I love Chinese history over even European history. Um, I didn't know I was going to talk about Asia this much today. Sorry, but we are talking long-term. Yeah. Um, you know, they are, they've been a, a, a kingdom, you know, not for like a couple hundred years, like Europe post Rome, they've been like, like a, a kingdom for a thousand years. So even like their history as a nation, they've seen rises and falls of economy. They've seen empires that were really great. They saw, you know, all of, all of these different people kind of um, come and go. And it, it gives you a, a pause with that extended of a history. Even if your story today, even if the narrative today isn't like greatness, you know that it, it, it rises and falls. And so you're patient for your next moment in history. Whereas in the US, we're such a young country, we've only been around for a hundred, you know, hundred plus help, years, help me, 200 years? How long, how long have we been a country? 200, right? Something like that, yeah. A little over 200, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So a little over 200 years, like we don't even have a national history like that, you know, where we can say, oh, we can be, we can be patient um, because, there will be rises and falls and influxes and defluxes, defluxes of power. Um, but so, so our tactics change a lot. The world's changed a lot in terms of the platforms that we use. And I think we all feel like we've been so rocked by 
internet and technology and all these things. But, you know, it's just a shift from, you know, stone tablets to the scrolls, to books, to the computer. It's just different modes of sharing information. And so I think that when you look at reorg, there's a temptation to kind of like rethink values or rethink all those things where, you know, when you look at the long-term orientation, the value of honoring your family has been around for thousands of years in China and Asia. And, you know, our values seem to shift with every whim of culture sometimes in the U.S. And so I think it's fine to have reorgs that are structural, that are tactical. It's not okay for us as Christians to have reorgs that shift our values because we're really called to have two main values, which is loving God and loving people. And if that shifts out of like, you know, our sight line and that's not where we're headed or that's not where we're, what we're aiming at, it is going to be completely disorganized and disorienting. And that's why, you know, David kept saying, God, call me back to what really matters, which is pursuing you. And so that's a really good question that I answered probably really messily, but it's a really important one um, to think about, I think. No, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, in, in this same topic is, is your, what you're alluding to is, is not changing your values. And, you know, these, these roles of, and you talk about it in the book that the roles of faith, hope. Mm-hmm and love mm-hmm. and, and how those, those values shape a business and shape the, the, the orientation, the long-term orientation of a business. Um, but we in America, we mess that up. And, and, and we talked about a little bit the, you know, this pro- prosperity doctrine, like mm-hmm. how do we, how do we mess that up? And, and where does faith, hope, and love come into that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's two, two um, challenges with prosperity doctrine. Because obviously God is totally cool with us being wealthy or he wouldn't have given Solomon wealth. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Where we mess it up is when we think that prosperity or money or blessing is the end goal. Mm. That's, I mean, it's not money isn't the root of all evil. The love of money is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's when money becomes, we worship money more than God and we worship our comfort more than sacrifice because Jesus didn't do that. You know, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. So I think that's, that's one issue with it. I think the other one is with, with the prosperity mindset and the way that we measure success in business, like even with houses, like when you, once you flip it, you want to be able to show that you were profitable and you make some money. Right. Yeah. Um, And the interesting thing about the promises of God, none of them, Abraham, you know, uh, the promise to Moses about the promised land, the promise to David about like the throne, none of those promises were actually fulfilled in the lifetime of the per- person the promise was made to. Mm. Yeah. And so did, do, do, do God's do? Yeah. Do God's promises come true? hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, but are we okay with building a business that is, has to be profitable, that really explodes when our grandkids get it? Mm. Cause that's kind of mm. like the promise. Like when David left the throne in Israel, it was when like Absalom had like run him out of the country, you know, and then like Solomon's taking over, like his whole succession plan was a mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like, he literally lost his company to his old, his next son with the good hair. So think about that guys. Um, <laughs> Not I a mean, problem. He, didn't, he didn't get the company, so it, it doesn't win the day in the end, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so you think about like the mess of succession planning and, and God's promises, but they do come true. There is blessing in it. And it is, it is wealth. It is reputation. It is all of those things. But I think the thing about being in the next generation, even for Moses, you know, Moses didn't get the promised land, you know, speaking of real estate, he missed out on all the real estate. Um, and it it was in moments where the focus wasn't God or the end goal wasn't God that Moses missed out and David missed out on some pretty cool promises and some pretty cool stuff. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting Hmm. because, you know, right now, you know, we, we've been doing this business for a little bit and um, you know, we've had some ups and downs in our business and, uh, it really makes you think about like when in the downtimes, you know, like what's, what's this yeah. all for, you know, and, and do we have this long-term orientation vision of where the company is going to go? And, um, you know, in this downtime of, you know, like, man, do we just quit or do we, you know, persevere and, and push through and because we have a longer vision of where we're going um, yeah. and that the, the faith, you know, the, the hope um, and even the love of, of the, the community that we're building, the, the people, the, you know, all that stuff. It, it's just, it's just really interesting to think about um, 
I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's really cool. I think when we, when we think about wisdom literature, you know, Proverbs gives us like, don't the, don't be a fool, which is really fun to say. I'm really glad I chose Proverbs and be like, that's so foolish. You're a fool. If you do that, <laughs> I'm really mean, but it's like totally Proverbs. Um, so your Proverbs, it is like, you know, kind of comparing like foolish people from wise ones, but then you move into Ecclesiastes. And this is where that hope thing, I think becomes really important. Um, cause I think that God, God uniquely gifts all of us. And sometimes I like secretly wish in my heart, like, you know, the, the gifts of the spirit, like in first Corinthians, when it talks about, um, it comes right after the love chapter, mm. right? So the gifts, the, the gifts, the, the skills that we have that we're uniquely talented to do are really related to love, loving God and loving people. Yeah. And, um, that's, that's I mean, the faith, hope, and love, love is, love is the thing that's going to be, it's eternal, right? We don't have to have faith once Jesus comes back and we don't have to have hope because everything will be fixed and we'll know everything. And so we don't have to like make mistakes or have downturns economically. It's just all multiplication for eternity. But um, in the meantime, you know, I think if we operate out of love, that's what gives us faith for our businesses when we don't know how we're going to be profitable in the next quarter, not because we're looking for profit, but because we want to serve God and love God with our resources, which is profit. And we want to love people with our resources, which is profit. And when we have that mindset of love being our motivator, Faith plays a role that is others and God oriented and hope does as well. And that's what gives us the, the ability, you know, it's like the Holy spirit power to persevere and without it, we are all quitters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The greatest of these is love. Right. And yeah. I think that, I think, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting because you, you can read these things. I, mean, I don't know how many times I've read that a thousand times, but but a lot of times, which is a, a gifting that obviously a spiritual gift of yours to, to, to kind of implement that in a daily action. And even from a mindset perspective or a business plan, uh, you know, a strategic vision of a business with that, even highlighting love as a focus and how am I, how am I expressing my love through the business and having the, the tangible outlets for that is, is pretty awesome. It's got me yeah. fired up. And I kind of so thought cool. talking about love was kind of like cheesy and like super Christian. And so I like kind of avoided like lots of love talk. And then the CEO of William Sonoma, who's not a Christian, mm. wrote this like op-ed piece on the importance of loving customers mm. and how their whole strategy was just to really love their customers and like totally leaned into this love thing. And I was like, hey, that's like, that sums up the whole of the law. Hey, man, that's Christian, man. Like, Come on. That's Christian. <laughs> like if they can talk about it, we can. We're better. We should be better at loving people. And those guys that aren't redeemed. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. No, that's that's and and I think when people like and the 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 whole element of that being completely countercultural as well as completely outwardly focused, right? Loving others and and serving, I think, is such a and it really embodies what we believe that Jesus was. Um, I think is uh, no, that's really cool. That's that's awesome. So a, as we look at this, you know, Stu and I are looking to implement. Uh, Look, looking to implement into our business, some of these orientations. I mean, obviously it's, I could see where this, I shouldn't say obviously, but I could see where this is from a, um, an expensive, but also from just being unfocused perspective, how we could be all over the place with this. How, how do you, how do you balance these things and, and make a profit or how do you, would you suggest that it is literally like a, you know, you take one and be like, this is what I'm going to focus on. And for the next however long, this is where I'm focused and the other ones are going to be ancillary or how do you, how do you attack this? And Stu kind of asked this in a different way earlier, but I, but I think the, you know, from a holistic point of view. Knowing what I know now, I would say you need all five, you need to have a baseline plan for all five. Um, and, you know, it, it seems like in the, in the way the book is written, I'm going to hopefully write like a, a book that you only have to read each sentence one time next um, that's, nice. that's really practical. Like, cliff, notes. Okay, cliff notes. Yeah. The cliff notes. What do, what do you do with this? Um, you, you, when you think about like balance scorecard, have you heard then the, yeah. the balance scorecard kind of stuff? And you have like, you know, what's your, um, how profitable, how do you measure profit? How do you, you know, met, how do you view your customer? How do you view your learning orientation? Um, you know, are you, how are you planning for the future? And there's one other piece that I always forget. Um, so there's, there's four different pieces of it. I would say that the model that I have could just as easily kind of measure, instead of just looking at your financial success, you should look at the impact of your, of resources and people. So you can measure those really easily. So I think the way of making it practical is by measuring them. Say like, are your employees happy? Do your customers come back? You know, do you churn through suppliers? Cause you, you know, negotiate them down to they never make money with doing business with you. Um, 
And you can look at like the people outcomes and measure them at a really simple level and say, well, I don't ever want to have a supplier say that we're like on a scale of one to five, we like doing business. We like love you doing business with you. We want to be like sole partners with you to like a one, like we hate doing business with you. We never want to do business with you again. Like, so we always want to be a little higher than a three on all of these. Now there's some of them you want to be a five at, like, you're like, we need to be excellent at this. This is like what God's called us to do. But on the other ones, you shouldn't, you should, you would definitely don't want to be like bad at any of them. So, you know what I mean? Like figure out your baselines and then say like, okay, where can we excel in this season? And that was like kind of the Yili thing, right? Like initially like milk was actually killing people in China. And they're like, how do we get quality milk? How do we get quality dairy into the market? So they started there and then, you know, you build out, but then you can't be unsustainable and then you can't, you know, um, so I think you have to, you have to break them all down to like an easy measurement. So like for long-term, you know, what is the impact of your business in the, in the future? How, how, how do you see you growing and those sorts of things um, in the quality space? How do you know that your product is quality? I think that's an easy, like it's really your customers have to tell you the quality of your product. Right. Um, you can measure the people piece. You can look at the supply chain piece. Um, and then, you know, I think, I think that it, yeah, it's all breaking it down to saying, okay, let's have a baseline for all of these things. And we can focus in on being excellent at some, and then you'll probably have the opportunity to build out others. So, you know, you do all this stuff and you make these, this incredible business that has all these orientations and, you know, you're, you're just killing it. So then how, how do you transfer that to be purposeful and, and impact the kingdom? Like what, Yeah. for what, you know, what, so what, you know, I have, a, I have an awesome business and we're profitable and we're doing amazing things. So how do you, how do you create, you know, impact for the kingdom through that? Yeah. I think like that kind of does come back to the core, like, what is your core competency? What are you really good at? Um, Because that's probably the main way that you're blessing people. Um, You know, whether it's building the most amazing houses or doing it economically so people can actually afford a nice house they want to live in, or whether it's you're really great at building like these supplier, like supplier relationships. You know, so when you think about social enterprises, some of them are really focused on like who they're helping upstream. Like, oh, I want to help women coming out of sex trafficking, or I really want to create a way for coffee growers in Kenya to sell their products on a global market. So that's like very supplier focused, like Mm. you're an intermediary or, you know, helping move something forward or people just need great houses to live in. Your core competency is providing shelter. You know, shelter is one of the five areas that Jesus says is part of the kingdom, right? Like feeding the poor, putting shelter, shelter is a good one. Um, So how do you do that? Like to the fullest of, you know, the extent that you're called to, Um, if you're really, really good at like HR hiring or just seeing people or loving people, like, I think that there is something unique about every company. Yeah. That God has called you to excel in and providing value and seeing people and loving people and products are about loving people. You know, if you deliver something into the marketplace, there should be a need for it or nobody's going to buy it. And if there's a need, then you're delivering that need in a way that blesses people. I love that about Jesus. Um, it wasn't the kingdom of heaven. Wasn't just salvation and healing people. He had a lot of inventory miracles. So when I talk about inventory miracles, like there was a wedding and there was a lot of demand for wine and there was no yeah. supply of wine. And so he transformed water into wine yeah. and then he had like a whole crowd of people and they were hungry. The 5, yeah. So he created food inventory. Mm. Um, and so I think that we want to over-spiritualize kingdom impact when it's really, I have resources to provide food and it, it doesn't have to be like gifted and miraculous. Like if I sell it to you and you can afford it, that is a miracle. I mean, Joseph's warehouse was a miracle warehouse that provided food for famine yeah. that people came and bought from. But it saved the whole world. You know, that's the first time in scripture. It says the whole world was saved through an inventory and warehouse miracle. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. What if what if we find ourselves without any skills or anything to offer? Is there anything that we we just need to work on that? Yeah, I think I think that the the disciples, you know, had that same bent where they were like, oh, man, the rich people, they have lots to offer. You know, the people mm-hmm. like the people with lots of skills. And I think that's kind of what Jesus was, was talking about when the people came into the temple with their tithes, you know, like the, the really rich guy came in and he gave like a lot of money, but it was actually a pretty small percentage of his overall earnings. And the widow right. comes in, um, and she didn't have a lot to give. And I think, so I think that Jesus made it really clear that like, even if you feel like you have zero skills, like loving people, isn't a skill to act. <laughs> it's a yeah. sacrificial one. Yeah. And yeah. I think like the best, the best example I could come up with like you, you know, you didn't go to Wharton. I didn't go to Wharton. You know, you don't have like the Ivy League MBA or whatever um, is actually in the book of Ruth. 
if we can focus in on Boaz and how great a businessman he was, because he had like big fields, he had a foreman like and employees. So he had like a tiered hierarchy, corporate hierarchy, ancient Israel agriculture. It's pretty cool. Um, but the term for Hiel, that excellent term that shows up in Proverbs 31, when it shows up in the book of Ruth, that like valiant warrior term, it describes Boaz, but it also describes Ruth who was in poverty and her main skill was picking up wheat on the ground. <laughs> like, that's not like, Ooh, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, I want to be a gleaner, an impoverished person who picks the waste from somebody else's field. Um, but in her willingness to work in her willingness to love Naomi and serve her, she actually had margin that like, it says like when she ate with the workers, she took her like leftovers back to Naomi. Mm. And she had like, even though she didn't own the fields, when she went, she worked hard and she was blessed by God. And somehow she had margin to bring like months of wheat home. And so I think sometimes we want to measure like how God can use us based on the world standards of success and like how much we know and how much we own. And the book of Ruth is such an awesome example that we have resources, whether we're in poverty or great wealth, and we can love people and serve them with those resources, whether we're the CEO or the poor person gleaning from the edge of the profit margin. That's really cool. David, were you, were you speaking about yourself as far as having no skills or, or anything in business? Um, well, actually what I was trying to do is I was trying to put it in the first person mm. to not embarrass you. Oh, I didn't want, I, I didn't want, I to, know a guy who my friend, my a yeah. friend asked me yeah. that if he's completely useless, can he do something? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, you know what I, I love. Um, and I'll tell you, I kind of get nerdy about just the application of the, of the word. Cause, cause I love my favorite, my favorite book is James. And, and what really, I, what I love about James is all the you know, faith without works is dead. Like all this stuff, you know, that he, he's an action kind of guy. Like he's telling you, okay, this is great. Uh, love. Awesome. You know, faith, sweet, all, all good things, use it and, and, and implement it and do. And so I think the, uh, you know, just seeing all this, like how you've tied and how your research has given you such clarity on, on the practical application and not only application, but the practical outcomes of businesses that implement these, these, these biblical truths that uh, turn into secular successes and, and, and success, not to measure it by money, but success in, in something that is long-term and enduring and um, honors God, I, I think is, is pretty incredible. So I, I, uh, I applaud you on not only the effort that it took to get to that point, but to be able to put it into a book and uh and give a couple knuckleheads some action items and things to focus on um i think is a, is a is a huge gift in and of itself so thank you for that thank you yeah and this has been awesome i've i've really enjoyed our conversation i, I really did enjoy your book i know i was somewhat joking with having to read it multiple times but I, I, it was it was a book that i like just really dug into and, and, and took a lot of notes on it and um and i think it's stuff that, that is um practical and applicable as well so um What's the best way for, you know, if, if anyone wants to reach out to you and, and you know, asking more questions, how, how do they get in touch with you if that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. I have two different websites. I have one that's hannahstoles.com and then there's actually a wisdombasedbusiness.org website. Okay. And both of those spaces have ways to reach out to me Okay. and shoot me messages or, you know, email me. Also, I work at university, so you can, <laughs> you can look me up and send me an email probably through my job, but nice. you know, there's still, so there's multiple ways. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Finding me. And yeah, we'll put, we'll put that public. stuff. We'll put that stuff. Uh, we'll put your websites on, on our uh, podcast notes. And um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been great to talk to you. You know, although you're, you're an army, you know, gal, it, it's, it's yeah, all right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but Hey, it, it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Um, guys and gals, hey, reach out to Hannah. She is obviously a wealth of, of information and knowledge, way smarter than David. Uh, so go to her first. <laughs> Um, and, um, and yeah, um, Hey, take a screenshot, share this, give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Um, and David, you got any other words of wisdom? No, no, I'm, I don't think I've had any words of wisdom this entire time outside of, uh, you know, just, just enjoying, enjoying getting, getting schooled. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
Yeah. Thank you both. And nothing makes somebody more excited than like being really passionate about a topic and then getting to talk to it and talk about it with people that are like interested. <laughs> so yeah, thanks. It was fun. I really appreciate it. All right. Go leave a review, go share this, give Hannah five stars. And most importantly, go fill your storehouse. Make it a great day, friends. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to Filling the Storehouse. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and share it with someone you love. And if you really felt inspired, leave a five-star review so we could continue to grow and help other Christian entrepreneurs fill their storehouse. If you're interested in creating financial freedom through real estate investing, be sure to check out our website at storehouse310turnkey.com. We'd love to serve you through our platform of building the kingdom. Just click on the contact link and we'll reply to you as soon as we can. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go for your storehouse and make it a great day.